0: You're listening to the Habit Podcast. Tim Irvin, welcome to the show. Jazz, it's
1: great to be here with you.
0: You know, I not many people are going to know my relationship to you, so I'm just going to jump right in and tell them. Uh, Tim is one of my oldest and bestest friends. We met back in the 90s. We were both ski racers, and Tim, I think you're a year younger than me. What? birth year
1: yeah i just turned 44 you just turned 44 so i'm
0: 40 i'm 45 did i miss your birthday no i called you on your birthday
1: did you yeah you did you did thanks for that that was nice yeah
0: yeah you're very welcome i'm i'm very mindful of that now that my iphone can enter all birthdays (laughs) we met back in the 90s tim and we were both uh going to this uh a ski academy in ontario we were both avid ski racers And my first memories of Tim Irvin were of this guy who had a head of hair like Slash, the guitarist from Guns N' Roses. Do you remember?
1: Oh, yeah, I I remember. No, I definitely remember. And I often look in the mirror and wish that that was still the case. But um, I just want to say my my first memory of you, actually, uh, was not of your hair, but it was that you were standing by a television. Like, I'd met your brother earlier because we were on a different ski team together. And he was always talking about his brother, Jazz, Jazz this, Jazz that, Jasper's so cool. And I meet this guy, and he's standing there by the television, standing by a VCR, and you're watching, like, some kung fu movie. I don't know if it was Bruce Lee or whatever.
0: I bet it was Bloodsport.
1: It might have been Bloodsport, (laughs) but you kept, like, rewinding all these fight scenes, all these, like, particular parts and fight scenes. You're like, no, 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 watch this. This is incredible. Look what this guy's doing. Look how high he can kick. Like, you were just all excited about it. And I was like, wow, this guy's super nerdy, but I think I like him. (laughs) You know what?
0: I bet it, I don't remember that, but I bet it was Bloodsport. Jean-Claude Van Damme doing those spin <laughs> those spinning like split kicks where he's he was just I just thought that was the, the the coolest movie ever and of course when I look back now I'm embarrassed to admit that.
1: Well, I remember that at some point your mom bought like I don't know who makes Is it a Pontiac. She had like a Pontiac Grand Am. Oh yeah, oh that's right. <laughs> and you guys called it Jean-Claude Grand Am.
0: It was a Jean-Claude Grand Am. That's right, yeah. And I remember that car. That was one of the first cars I ever learned to drive on. And uh, that was a real hunk of junk. That,
1: it, it was not a good car. You know, the one you had before that was like that Toyota Tercel 4x4 that we used to take off-road sort of up like the, the the uh, sort of the like, what do you call them? Like the, the, the cat tracks of the local ski hills in Collingwood, Ontario, you know, and there was like a little meter in there that would show you if you're leaning over too far. So... Totally.
0: I remember that. It had that. <laughs> It had that grade thing. So as he started going steeper and steeper, yeah, it yeah. would tell you that You're you are about, about to over. Like, <laughs> flip over. I, I think that's the car we drove from uh, British Columbia to Ontario in uh, way back in the day when we came out there to that ski program.
1: Yeah, that's, and that's also the car I learned to drive standard on. You taught me to drive standard on thing. So suffice to say, we go way back. See, I, this
0: is amazing that you remember that. I don't remember de- you teaching you how to drive standard.
1: Oh, yeah. I totally almost crashed your family's car a couple times as you taught me how to, like, you know, use a clutch and everything else. Yeah.
0: Was this, was this in a parking lot somewhere? Did you already have
1: a license? Oh, no, no, no. Oh, yeah, no. Oh, I had a license. We were driving. I think we, I think maybe we were We were on some short-ish trip, maybe driving up to, like, my family's cottage or something. But you're like, hey, why don't you try I was like, sure. So I managed to, you know, grind my way through your, the gears of your family car, and we got where we were going with a couple dodgy moments but thanks man it's been really helpful to know how to drive standard
0: (laughs) you know what standard is one of those things that is that is like an era past i i have a little standard car and if we ever want to resell it it's just not going to happen because nobody makes them anymore and we've decided that we're going to keep this little car we have a little tiny Mitsubishi and we've decided we're going to keep it so that finn my oldest kid uh, who's 10 now uh, when he learns to drive, he'll learn to drive a stick because I think that's a good skill to have. Even if none of the cars ever, you know, in his generation of driving will have a stick.
1: Yeah, it's it's, a, it's definitely uh, a good thing to have. But, you know, it's not too long. I, I wonder if my kids are ever going to drive a car because they're a lot younger than your kids. They're two and four. And maybe by the time they get around into driving, it's going to all be automated electric cars or something. Who knows?
0: I, I, think, I think so. I read an interesting article about that, uh, how self-driving cars are going to be the way of the future. And the biggest reason is because of, uh, is is because of insurance. Eventually the self-driving technology will get so good that it'll cost a fortune to insure yourself because humans generally are, you know, we're fallible. Whereas the, the AI technology in those cars will, it uh, gets so good that the accident rate will go way down. Now, I don't know if that's true. It was an interesting article, though.
1: Yeah, yeah. Actually, I think you told me about that, which has nothing to do with anything else we're probably going to talk about, but that's interesting.
0: It is interesting, and it's a great way to start this podcast. <laughs> Where were we? This all started because I said you had a head of hair like Slash. I did. Uh, I had an amazing
1: head of hair. Yeah, I used to be able to, like, you know, I'd put a pencil behind my ear and it'd disappear, and people would ask for a pencil, and I'd just whip one out, of, you know, from behind my You know, from inside this mop of hair I had in my head. It was fantastic. I miss those days that my hairline has uh, not quite as venturous as it used to be.
0: I don't think you have hair anymore.
1: I have. Memory serves. I have some.
0: You got that, you kind of got that awkward head of hair, though, where you're not sure whether to grow it because it's clearly going away. (laughs) And so you might as well just keep it shaped.
1: No, that's exactly what it is. It's it's actually, it's not awkward at all because it's very clear to me that I should not grow it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So let's just revisit the slash here because uh, one of the things, one of my fondest memories of Tim Irvin is you had this look, uh, you know, you look like a rock star and man, did you ever get dates in high school? Like I, your experience in high school and my experience in high school were two completely different things. I don't even know how we were friends to be honest. I don't know how we ended up friends because I was this kid that would disappear into the gymnasium by myself at lunch hour to see how good I could get at Hacky Sack. And you were the guy just like getting dates all the time. I don't know what the deal was. You were just the man. I
1: ah, I just I, I just yeah. spent less time playing hacky sack than you, but you know, I remember playing hacky sack once with you. It was just you and I. We were trying to see how many we could get in a row, you know, how many kicks. And I remember we got up to like 240 or something. This was in that tennis court, like just around the corner from where I used to live. I don't know who owned it. And we got up to 240 or something. I thought that was so awesome. I was like, "Jazz, this is amazing. Together we accomplished this thing. This is so awesome. Then you're like, well, let me see how how many I can do by myself. And you got up to like twice as many. I was like, oh, I guess, uh, guess I'm the weak link there. So I think that also, you know, yes, I got more dates than you in high school. Um, and I had more hair than you in high school, but I no longer have a lot of hair. And also, I think our athletic accomplishments are such that you've always been a little bit better than me in almost everything.
0: No, well, not everything, Tim. I do, you were, you were a far superior skier. In your early days uh, on the ski hill, you were quite the athlete. Like, I, I remember in the, you know, juvenile, like that sort of early teen years, you just crushed it. Didn't you win some races by, like, seconds and seconds like you had you had a good string of things back then.
1: it's funny you say that because I actually had a dream last night that I was at a ski race and I was racing and I like won by like six seconds or something which I, I don't think ever happened but um yeah yeah I you know I did all right I did all right and uh it's it's funny because I, I I take my son I live in Chelsea Quebec now and I take my son skiing at Camp Fortune here which is um for anybody who doesn't know it's it, there's nothing special about it and I, I really don't downhill ski anymore, other than just with my son, because I live in Chelsea, Quebec, where the skiing is not very interesting. Because Jasper and I raced, you know, all over Europe and North America. We've done a ton of skiing, and skiing here just isn't that interesting. But uh, instead, I just hit the Nordic trails here, because we've got world class uh, cross country ski trails here in Gatineau Park. Anyway, so I, t- I go out and ski with my son, and. Uh, and and we're skiing around this hill. I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, I, we, we raced the Ontario Championships here when I was 14. And um, I, used, I was always one of those kids who just kind of went balls to the wall, and which meant I often fell a lot. But there was one race. It was the Ontario Championships at Camp Fortune. And somehow I was one of the only people, like a lot of people fell or crashed uh, during that race. I guess it was a difficult, there was difficult conditions or something. A lot of people wiped out. But I didn't. And so I won the race by 14 seconds. <laughs>
0: <laughs> 14 seconds. So for those people listening that don't really know ski racing, 14 seconds is an eternity. Yeah, it's like
1: winning an Ironman by wa- like two hours run. probably,
0: right? Well, maybe not quite that It's much, more like winning yes, an Ironman by like three right or
1: four hours. Like that's how good it was. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well not quite but they you get the point point. 14 seconds in an event that takes like a minute yeah yeah i mean just percentage wise it's pretty massive yeah i do remember you have some legendary stories and we had such an amazing time growing up ski racing yeah. together i i remember some of the craziest trips where we'd be staying in these crappy little motels and and uh chasing races around and I remember back then the the coaches, you know, sometimes we'd race on a Sunday and it would end at four uh, and the coaches would like drive back through the night <laughs> from Quebec. It'd be like a 16 hour drive. It, uh, yeah. It, it was, it was crazy,
1: crazy. Cause, and our coaches were a little bit like, I don't know, cautious, I guess. Cause they were afraid, I guess. Cause the other teams would stay, they wouldn't drive home. They'd stay and now all the kids would go out partying and drinking, and carry on and maybe get in a bit of trouble, but you know, mostly good, clean fun. But our our coaches never want us to do that. So they drive home through the night and it was so much higher risk. Like I remember watching, like sitting in the seat, car seat, watching our coach, Jeff Thompson, watching his eyelids sort of like fluttering up and down as he tried not to fall asleep. And I'm like, how is this safer than going out and having a couple of beers (laughs) with a few friends after a race? Oh, it's terrifying. Totally. I remember
0: some of those trips. It was insane. It's stuff that you could never do. Oh, you'd
1: never be allowed to do those things now. You'd never be allowed to. And no. I, even I think some of those vans, because these huge roof racks on the top made out of steel that were just filled with like, you know, we all were carrying, I don't know, probably four pairs of skis and you'd have like, I don't know, 10 or 12 kids in there plus a bunch of gates and heavy stuff. I mean, I'm, super unsafe vehicle, I'm, I'm sure. You know, yeah. they wouldn't be allowed to drive those things these days.
0: No, <clears> it, was, <throat> it was insane. A lot of the things we did back in our time growing up was insane. Not just that stuff. I, I talk to people often about we never wore seatbelts, you know. If you went on a long road trip, you basically just made a fort in the back of the car. Oh, and
1: you, you, oh, oh, totally. I, I remember your mom talking about that. Having you guys just crashed out in the back of the seat, driving from race to race in BC with, you know, no seatbelts or anything. But you, you know, the other thing that's interesting is I remember when we started racing fist races, which is the International Ski Federation for those unaccustomed to skiing. Um, in those days, you could race giant slalom without a helmet on oh totally we never skied with a helmet. oh yeah and, and to me i mean so then then what happened i remember alberto tomba who was like this amazing italian skiing superstar he wore a helmet in a giant solemn race and then slowly people were like "Ooh, that's kind of cool tomba's doing it people started wearing helmets and so then yeah. i put a helmet on we went to switzerland for these races with our old coach willie berger and uh you weren't you weren't there this must have been the year you were on a you were somewhere else. You must've been on a tennis scholarship by this point. Cause for those of you who don't know, Jasper's like this multi-sport diva. Like he's like, he's, you know, not only is an Ironman triathlon champion, but he's also a highly accomplished ski racer, went on a full scholarship to the States for tennis before he got into triathlon. So if you don't know that about Jasper, you can do just about anything. And well, he can hang upside down from a tree branch by his toes. Yeah. Still- There's
0: a lot of things going on there. I, I, I think it had less to do with, athletic stuff and more to do with it. I just confused I couldn't make <laughs> up my mind and I kept kind of failing at like things prior so I'm like what else
1: can I do yeah that, well that's also true if there's been a lot of failure in your life that's for sure I failed my
0: way to <laughs> failed your way to success
1: which I think I, actually is true of most people but but just I just wanted to say that one thing about so we go to Switzerland we're in this race we're all jet lagged I put on my helmet for the first time in like a couple of years to race a giant slalom I go down something goes wrong I crash through a fence get this concussion and like wake up in the hospital hours later and i'm like well it's probably a good thing i was wearing that helmet and, and, wow. I, and i think yeah i think back to the like you know when you're in a giant slalom race you're going pretty fast and there's like you know most of the time the crashes are you know not a big deal but there's potential to have high impact crash in giant slalom race and i can't believe that we used to race those things without helmets on we used to do everything without helmets. Like when I first started getting into cycling,
0: I never Oh wore no, you wear one, those, one of those, yeah. <clears throat> Cool little hats with like the the short little brim. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh yeah, it was it was just a different time. I don't think it's because we were purposely being negligent. I think we just it just wasn't a thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, it's totally
0: it's... You know, ski 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 helmets existed for the speed events mm-hmm. like uh you know, downhill and mm-hmm. super G and, and if you, if you weren't doing that, no one even considered no, wearing
1: no. a helmet. And it was um, funny because when you, when you put on that helmet, you you get your downhill suit, you go skin to win. So, you know, you, you take off all your long johns and just wear skin underneath your downhill suit, put on your helmet. And it's almost, it, it, it kind of amps up the whole thing. And you know, that soon you're going to be skiing at like 110 kilometers an hour. And man, I, you know, that, that is part of the sport that I miss is just having, you've got that whole mountain to yourself. You're the only one allowed to ski down this mountain at that point in time and ripping down there with your helmet on at a hundred kilometers an hour or faster and flying over these jumps, you know, that, that is part of the sport that that I, I miss.
0: <laughs> yeah. Me me too. I, there was a real rush that you would get from skiing yeah. and I've rediscovered skiing in my adult years, uh, it, especially with the kids because I realized it was a sport that I truly loved and I, I want them to yeah. experience it too. I mean, they're not, they're never going to get into the competitive stream like, like we were. Mm. Uh, but just to go out and hang out with them oh, yeah. for the day. It's, it's kind of a neat sport because I, it's, <clears throat> it's one of the only sports that you do all day with, with your oh, kids. Oh, totally.
1: Totally. Uh, this know? is the thing. It's like I want my kids to play pond hockey like we did as teenagers because I loved it. I, I don't want them to play organized mm-hmm. hockey because I don't want to go hang out at a hockey arena. I'd way rather go skiing with my kids because we can do it together. You know, everybody mm-hmm. takes their own line that you ski at your own speed on the way down and then, you, you know, hang out on the chairlift on the way up. It's, it's a great thing to do with, uh, with your kids.
0: Yeah, it's an it's amazingly yeah. fun sport. Yeah. So yeah. Um, this is the longest intro we've ever had. Are we, are we still in the intro? <laughs> We're still in the intro because I started talking about you having slash hair
1: yeah. And
0: uh, then we, we got down here. And what I was really hoping to open with uh, was a question hmm. for you. Um, and it's sort of the elephant in the room question and so I'll throw it right out at you i want to know why it was so hard to get you on this podcast <laughs> because you the reality is you didn't want to come on this because you were giving me you were you were giving me shit because you didn't think that you as a guest was useful uh for a podcast like this because you assume that most of the audience are triathletes and in in that world which they probably are um (laughs) and i argued against that and i think what people are gonna find is when we get to the meat of your story and the real reason you're on here it's not to talk about ski racing although that's fascinating for the two of us um (laughs) the 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 elephant in the room is i want you to tell me why you were such a pain in the ass to get on i think show. because
1: we're such good friends that i can just like diss you and not feel bad about not responding to your calls <laughs> you know it's like oh you know he'll, yeah. he'd still like me i wouldn't have to worry about it
0: <laughs> i question. think i think though the insecurity was on your side <laughs> i wanted you on this thing but you kept uh, saying, no no what what do i have to tell a group of it's true it's about? true and i'm
1: like Although you haven't asked me about so my triathlon career yet, which I could sum up in about 10 seconds, which is kids of steel. I went to kids of steel race once and uh, I'm sure I crushed the bike and the run, but I, I remember we had to do 21 widths of a pool down in like the Lakeshore in Toronto. And my friend Jason was a competitive swimmer. He was with me. I was on like my seventh width and we had to do 21. And he got out of the pool and took off on his bike. And I was like, okay, see you at the finish line. there." <laughs> That was it. That was my (laughs) triathlon career. And I've never had any ambition to do another one since.
0: Yeah. Well the start of my triathlon career was kind of the same, to be fair. I don't remember that. I I remember you I I remember you going
1: with your brother to go and watch you you came back from Wisconsin on your tennis scholarship. You started, you know, you, you went in some like Olympic distance ish race somewhere in Ontario. I was there with your brother watching and you qualified for worlds as an age grouper after that first race is how I remember it.
0: Yeah, I guess so. But I did had I had spent a year like sweating. Yeah, right. Like I, I really I really was sort of sort of training by that point. I wasn't fresh. off. Oh, no, for sure.
1: For sure. No, I realized that. Yeah.
0: So let's get back to the question <laughs> I asked you why it was such a pain to get you on this show. I want to know why you don't think that you're a valuable guest. And especially after we get to the meat of things, uh, <laughs> the the good stuff. But I want to know what's your problem?
1: I don't know. I I have so many problems, Jasper. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't have an answer for you other than like you hurt the ones you love the most, right? Like I'm just like not good at getting back to you. <laughs> if you're. Yeah, no, no, uh, I, I well, don't think it has no, no, to well, do with that. It, it I, could also be that, yeah, it's like, oh, Jasper's got this, you know, Jasper's this Man triathlon champion. Wow. And he's got all these people listening to him who are uh, tri-geeks, you know. I say that term affectionately, or I use that term affectionately. And probably they don't want to hear from a guy like me who doesn't do that stuff. But, hey, I'll leave that up to you. You're the host, so let's get on with it.
0: Yeah, well, you do leave it up to me. And anyway, thanks for coming on oh, the Thanks. Show, yeah, man. it's great to be here, Jazz. The Habit Podcast is brought to you by Wildlife Journeys. Wildlife Journeys is a boutique wildlife tourism company specializing in bears and wolves of the Great Bear Rainforest of British Columbia. Working in partnership with the Gitga'at First Nation, we explore the heart of this extraordinary region to experience some of the world's greatest natural spectacles what i want to talk about most with you is your uh your adventures because you went from ski racing uh and you found i'm sure it was always in there from a kid but you found your passion in life to be the outdoors to be adventuring to be canoeing to be all these things and my guess is that that is probably rooted in, you know, a lot of things your parents taught you. I know your dad is a, an avid adventurer. he's sort of into that stuff as well. But really, you have uh, stepped out of the high- performance sport thing years and years ago, uh, and you really went head-on into ecology and biology and then into the adventure side of it. And in that time, you have done multiple. Uh, solo canoe trips and solo adventures, and and not just solo for like a couple of days, but really extreme stuff, uh, you know, 50, 60 day things up in the Arctic all by yourself. And when I was thinking about that, I thought this is the thing that's going to resonate with our audience, because to me, the courage and mental fortitude and mental toughness required for a journey like that is extreme and you might not see it that way because you, that's your space <clears throat> you know you're coming you're in it so you're like ah it's, it's maybe nothing but from an outsider's perspective i think it's the same way maybe people see iron man is that it's this crazy thing that someone tackled and they got through it and how and why did they do it so that is why i wanted you on the show because i think you are going to have tremendous insight into what it takes to be mentally tough, to be courageous, to be all those things. And I think that comes, uh, you know, a- as a result of, or, you know, you chose these things that were just pretty crazy. So that's where I want to go with this conversation. Okay. Um, well, let, let, yeah. And uh, so there I'm go. good with that.
1: I don't know if I have anything special to say about any of those things, but I appreciate that you think I might. I also, like, will tell you that, you're you're bang on like when i think of like iron man triathlon and you know i've always been so incredibly happy to be a spectator like i've come watch you at a bunch of races and it's often with your brother and i've been standing there with your brother being you know and the, and the gun's about to go everybody's lined up and i'm just like so incredibly happy that i'm not about to dive into the water and like go through eight or 17 hours of swimming biking and running i'm so glad to be like eating like a bunch of fruit from like an Okanagan fruit stand while you guys punish yourselves so yeah I could never understand how you guys uh managed through that and and I guess you're right it actually hadn't occurred to me but maybe from the outside looking into what I do maybe that does seem challenging I hadn't really thought about it. Yeah. yeah
0: yeah so why don't why don't I just elaborate a little bit Or <laughs> I'll let, get you to elaborate but I, I want you to talk about some of the trips that you've done um so you, you've had quite a few now yeah uh, why don't you just
1: kind of jump in? Yeah, um, a little bit tripped down memory lane. So, yeah, so I, I wrapped up my ski career, um, and just to finish that, I was on the Ontario ski team trying to make the Canadian ski team. Instead, I smashed into a tree in Colorado and broke both my arms and smashed up my face and hands and stuff. That was the beginning of the end of my ski career. And then I kind of went to school and started, you know, planting trees in the summer to pay for school. And then started, you know, I'd always kind of go, gone on canoe trips with my dad. But we kind of amped it up a bit. Dad wanted to go on a bigger adventure with me. So we went on a canoe trip up in the Northwest Territories in the Mountain River, which flows through the Mackenzie Mountain. It's just, it's God's country. I mean, it's just gorgeous, gorgeous mountain scenery up there with big white water. And we were pretty green. We had a guide, which was smart because we didn't really know what we were doing in the white waterfront. But I think that just set the hook deep. I was like, wow, exploring these wilderness areas like by canoe, you know, it's like great. Sure, I like paddling canoe, but canoe itself is not the point the canoe is like the the way to get into these far off places and explore and so that set the hook deep so then I started taking some whitewater courses um because you know once you paddle whitewater safely and you have those sort of risk assessment skills it just opens up the door I mean we live in Canada right like the the extraordinary number of places you can explore in the wilderness in a canoe here I mean it just it's endless and so yeah so I started Tinkering, you know. I always did my trips with my dad, and then I started going on trips with some friends. And then at some point in university, I remember saying to my girlfriend uh, Jenny at the time, um, I said, "You know, I've always kind of wanted to go on a long, a long trip." And she said, well, "Well, why don't we? Why don't we do that? Why don't we do that this summer?" And I, I'll kind of always be grateful. You know, you ever have those moments in your life where somebody says something to you or put something in action? You are like, "Oh, right, I can, I can do that." Like, I think I at this point in my life, I am in my early twenties, and I'm telling her that I had this dream of maybe doing like a long, you know, multiple week trip. And she's like, well, why don't we do it? And I was like, oh, right. So I can not only dream about the thing, but I actually can do the thing. And at that point in my life, I, I don't think that really occurred to me yet. So we did it. We did like a, I think a six week trip through north, northwestern Ontario. So uh, north of where all the logging activity is in Ontario in the far northwest. And, um, you know, we were pretty green still. Like we made a lot of mistakes and stuff, but that was a pretty big wild adventure and you know we didn't pack enough food because we were kind of dumb and you know one of the dumbest things we did is we brought like for snacks (laughs) we brought unsalted roasted soy nuts because we thought oh yeah these taste good and these are full of protein that'd be great i mean it's like the worst possible thing you could bring like what you want is like you know like chocolate and peanut butter and super rich you don't want like unsalted roasted like soy nuts it's horrible <laughs> yeah anyway so yeah so we, so I, we did that and then i did a bunch of other trips uh with friends and then once i did it i i thought you know i kind of want to do a solo trip and so I, I just struck off i i'd done i'd gone out canoeing for a couple days with a different girlfriend becca and then uh i thought i'm gonna just keep going and so she went home and i paddled for a few days by myself and i thought oh this is kind of nice i can kind of do whatever i want And and I enjoyed it. And that was in the tomogamy part of Ontario, like not particularly remote. There's other people paddling around. Anyway, then I ended up um, at some point me and five other friends did like a seven week canoe trip up in the Arctic. So in the barren land. So this is North of the tree line. There's no trees. It's like this area is probably more than a million square kilometers. I mean, it's this gigantic wilderness area up in Northern Canada. And we did a seven week trip up there and then, Three years later, three of the same people and three new people we went on a thousand kilometer trip up there, eight weeks down the back river, which is like the longest river in Nunavut, which makes it one of the biggest wildest rivers in the entire world, and we paddled eight weeks down there and you know it, it was amazing like in the i think it was like the end of July, we came across these lakes they were still frozen, so we had to like wow, oh yeah, we had to haul the canoes up onto the ice. I mean, the ice was rotting and falling apart, but it was you know, it could still hold our weight in most of the time. And so we we sort of attached ourselves to the canoes, like, you know, with ropes, like a, like a dog team, so to speak, and dragged our canoes across this ice and learned the nuance of the ice. Like the white ice was pretty solid. The black ice was almost, almost like stepping on a trampoline. Like it almost had some flex to it, which was really unnerving to stand on. Yeah. (laughs) And so, yeah, we had to haul our uh, canoes across this, frozen expanse of ice and then later there was there was two other expeditions on that river that summer and both were evacuated one of them had a stove blow up and burn a bunch of the people the other one had uh these people capsized above this 10 kilometer stretch of rapids and they lost a boat a bunch of gear and we actually came across that scenario and had to um we part of sort of the rescue effort but yeah so i did a bunch of those things and and yet i I'd also done like a two week solo canoe trip along the North coast of Lake Superior, which was probably my biggest solo adventure at the time. A couple of weeks through Algonquin park by myself, but I, I, I was just really interested in solitude and exploring solitude. And I always kind of wanted to delve deeper into it. So then I planned a seven week solo canoe trip up in the Arctic. Um, was that, was that in 2000? Yeah. Yeah. It was 2008. I just, you know, it was amazing. All of a sudden last year I was like, my God, that was 10 years ago. I did that. Yeah, ten yeah, years. yeah. Ten years ago. So yeah, that was uh, 2008. I asked my boss for three months off work, and um, and they hemmed and hawed for a little while. And I decided I was going to go regardless. So, you know, I thought, well, if they're if they're not going to give me the time off work, I worked for the Ministry of Environment at the time. It's like the one stable job I've had in my entire life. And I thought, you know, if they're not going to give me the time off, I'm going to just quit and go anyway because this is something that I've had a real pull to do for a long time. And so uh-huh. I, I, uh, I got three months off work and I went up to Alaska first because I also work as a wildlife guide, um, taking people up to you know photograph and watch grizzly bears and wolves and stuff. So I went to Alaska to guide a bear watching trip and then I went straight from there up to Yellowknife, got myself in a Cessna 185, a float plane. They flew me out into the middle of the tundra, dropped me off and said goodbye. And I was there for seven weeks paddling through the Arctic until I got to the Arctic Ocean.
0: See, this, this to me is amazing. So, you know you said you stand on the beach of Ironman, you look out and you're, you're like, ah, I'm so glad I'm not Ugh. doing that. When you, when you explain being dropped off in the middle of nowhere in the, in the Arctic with a canoe, there's a big part of me that's kind of curious, but a, probably a
1: bigger <laughs> part that's like, I'm so glad I'm not doing that. <laughs> oh, God, because um, I, I would imagine myself standing on that start line of Ironman. And even just imagining it now, I can feel my stomach kind of turning it just it just mm-hmm. sounds horrible but when they dropped me off on that little beach there up in the the arctic i mean you know we already we had been flying over there was still i mean this was in early july probably yeah because i was in canada day in Yellowknife. so early july I was probably there on the third of july or something and there was still some ice around like in the in the lakes and rivers and i got dropped off and you know we hauled all my stuff ashore and the pilot flew off i remember watching that plane fly away thinking well, there goes my last link to like humanity. Like, I'm in, you know, almost as far, probably as far from a human settlement, like a permanent human settlement as you can get in Canada pretty much or close to it. I remember thinking, wow, this should be like a pretty awe inspiring moment. I feel like I should be having like epiphanies or like something like smart to think or say about this. And I didn't, I was just like, it mostly, I was just excited. I was like, Oh God, I'm finally here. Like, all the work is done, the months of planning and packing and all the work I had to do to get here is over. I'm finally here and I get to do and enjoy the thing. So I wasn't actually scared or nervous at all. I was just excited to be there. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I, that's neat. I mean, good for you. I, I felt like that uh, on start lines of races that I felt very... Careful. Really? Really? Wow.
1: Um, mm-hmm. See, that's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing was, to I me because like, yeah. it was only at the sort of pinnacle of my ski racing career, which you know was never anything like where you got in sport that i i I had the wherewithal to actually stand on the start line or the start gate in the case of a ski race and feel confident but you're saying you had that and even in the case of like ironman races where you'd stand there and feel excited about what you're about to do
0: yeah i was excited i I had a bit of everything i you know you're 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 nervous mostly nervous for the hurt that's yeah yeah um but uh no i there were times many times where i was just felt really ready i was ready to kind of uh, you know show fitness, yeah. if yeah. you want to put it that way. Yeah. Uh, excited for the battle, I you know I love competition and I was excited. I was ex- excited at the potential yeah. outcome, uh, which is which was neat. So huh. um, yeah, I, I you know I felt those moments, and one of the things you mentioned just a few minutes ago was that you felt this pull to go do this trip, yeah. and I that that <laughs> really strikes me because I think that is the. I think that that pull or whatever you want to call it is what a lot of people feel towards whatever they end up doing. Mm. So I think I think people will see Ironman or triathlon on TV or online or whatever, and they'll they'll suddenly have this pull. They'll be like, "Hey, there's a challenge that I can do." And I, I've never I, I've never really been able to put my thumb on what that's about, and maybe you can articulate that because. You know, I've never had a pull to be dropped off in the middle of the Arctic and be on my own for 50 or 60 days. Like this has never been <laughs> I just there's never been any instance in my life where I've been like, yeah, that would be cool. Yeah. But so what, what is that for you? Like, what do you remember that? Like, you probably still have that pull a little bit now to have those. Yeah. Adventures.
1: Yeah. The, um... What's that about? God, so many things come to mind here. I guess you're right. It is kind of weird, isn't it? I mean, when I think about how many people queue up at an Ironman race, I mean, I think they're nutty. They're like, hey, I'll... who wants to punish themselves for 15 hours? Oh, me, me. Um, yeah. And obviously, there's a lot less people who would go and do what I did back in 2018.
0: That's That's the thing. This is why it's so great to have you on this podcast, because there are less people on this planet who will go do what you did then there are who will do uh, like way, way less. <laughs> right. Right. So you go to an iron man, it's like two or 3000 people. We're all supported. We're all safe. The worst that's going to happen is you, you pull over at an aid station and maybe that's your day or whatever. Like, yeah. you, there's first, there's first aid everywhere. Every 10 K on the bike, there's a table full of food. You know, it's very, you, you have to still go to, you know, a pretty dark committed place to get your, get yourself through that thing. Um, but like the percentage of people on this planet who will go do what you did
1: is, is tiny
0: in comparison. Yeah. So, so wh- I I get, where does that come get, from? What's, what's the deal with that?
1: I don't know. I guess it means I'm kind of weird. Uh, I, I, you I, are I am super, super weird, weird, super weird. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where does that come from? I don't know. Right. We're all just a collection of our experiences and influences. And somehow it's like, I don't know, my grandfather was a naturalist, liked the outdoors, my dad, was an amateur naturalist and took me out the doors as a kid. And so it planted a seed in, in interest in that. And then I guess maybe part of it was, a you know, from, from sport and like pushing myself, because if there's, there's anything we did through our teenage years was we'll push ourselves. And I think that was a great outlet for teenage angst and energy, right? It's like, I don't, I don't know what I would have done as a teenager if I wasn't like pursuing excellence in sport, but it probably wouldn't have been as productive. Right. And so mm-hmm. I think challenge is something that I've always enjoyed and so i think maybe at the start of when i started doing these trips not that trip in 2018 but earlier i think i saw them as kind of a challenge but by the time mm-hmm. it came around to 2008 you know i had done a lot of this it, it didn't i, I wasn't pitting myself against the north you know I, I didn't have anything like that left it was just going to explore and have an adventure and i didn't feel like i had anything to prove to myself or anybody else i wasn't like scared about it i felt like i was pretty well prepared because i'd done a lot of stuff before uh you know and in the same way that by the time you got to ironman you're probably pretty well prepared for it you know cuz you've been building up to it for years but um now i'm losing the thread of what your what your question was why why did i want to do that yeah i i i guess i don't know i mean i guess i'd also read a number of books about people sailing around the world by themselves or going on extended uh, adventures of one kind or another and I think I think if I tap back into that there was something to me that just struck a chord like it just a, a solo adventuring to me it just it, 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 I just wondered what it would be like to have to be so self-reliant it's like huh did, I wonder a in the beginning I thought do I have what it takes like could I could I do this? Like, could, could I be so self-reliant and take care of myself in the wilderness? And after doing it on shorter trips, like four days, five days, two weeks, I was like, oh yeah, I can do that. But more importantly, I just enjoy it. And, and, and I think I just got curious, but what would it be like to do it for a longer period of time? It's like, okay, well, five days, that's one thing. Two weeks is another thing, but like seven weeks in like one of the world's biggest wilderness areas. Like that, I just, I don't know. I was just really curious to know what that would be like and what I would be like. In that sort of situation. That's a really interesting way to put it
0: is, is what you will be like in that situation. I think, I think when people take on these big challenges, be it Ironman or what you did or marathons or whatever, I think at a deeper level, what they're looking for is who they are in those moments you know what
1: you're you're putting your finger on an interesting thing there and you know I haven't thought about these things in a long time because I mean this trip is many years ago and my life is drastically different now Mm but I I remember as you're saying this I remember thinking or or I remember having conversations before I left with friends and acquaintances I was like yeah I'm going to do this thing and they're like wow gee that's interesting I'm like yeah I I think I'm gonna like it but uh, I think I'm really gonna thrive up there but you know maybe this actually won't go well at all maybe i'll go a little bit crazy and wonder what the hell i'm doing up there and you know wish i could get out you know because so i wasn't really certain of the income the outcome i i I mean i expected it was going to be great because my previous experience had been great but i didn't really know and so that comes back to this thing it's like well i wondered what i would be like with sort of extended solitude in the wilderness and i was just kind of curious about it
0: The Habit Podcast is brought to you by B78 Coaching. B78 delivers training programs for triathletes, runners, and cyclists. Programs are designed specifically for each individual. The B78 team of coaches has over 50 years of combined competition and coaching experience. To learn more, visit b78.is. That's b78.is.
1: And maybe that's those of us in the Western world who are, you know, fortunate enough to be like, you know, have our basic needs taken care of. I think because we have those basic needs taken care of, I think there's something sort of primal in there. that We want to see what we're capable of in other ways. Maybe that for some people that drives them in business or sport or whatever the case may be, but there's something about sort of grasping for our potential, if you will. Again, that's not what I was trying to do on my trip, but I, I, I can, I can see those corollaries there. Where people just get curious to see what they could be like, or what 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 a certain experience and more extreme experiences would be like. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah, I I think we have come. I think there's a danger in society these days to get too comfortable. Yeah, and I think I think when we when we lean in a little bit more to discomfort and stress and all those things that we try and avoid because it's like the path of least resistance. We, we get more out of it. I mean, for Mm -hmm. me, a big part of Ironman and racing and and putting myself on the line and going through that Mm -hmm. stuff uh, was because I always felt better at the end. I felt like I had accomplished something. Mm -hmm. I felt it gave me focus. It gave me purpose Mm -hmm. in those moments. It it gave me a real sense of like that I was doing something productive with my life. Um, Oh,
1: that, that all sounds so good it's like oh man isn't that what all of us want (laughs) like i mean i mean that sounds great i mean that just sounds wonderful right Mm -hmm. i'm like huh do i do i have that in my life right now i'm not sure
0: (laughs) yeah exactly but i you know something like a 50 day solo arctic canoe trip it really focuses oh yeah i mean you can't you can't go into that you can't go into that haphazardly no no it's like yeah, you got a real
1: purpose. You have right? to be – and then, then this is the thing. It's like, okay, the trip was seven weeks, but it was months in the preparations and, and months and years afterwards and sort of digesting the experience. And so, yeah, it's never, it really focuses your existence. And the thing is, I mean, the first big part is like, you know, you don't just blindly go into an Ironman unless, I guess, maybe if you're like your brother who like – wasn't your, like your mm. first – your brother, not, not to like go too far off the rails here, but wasn't like your brother's first triathlon actually an Ironman and he like won his age group and beat half the pros?
0: Yeah, pretty I much. I think so. Was like fifteenth overall. Yeah, I think
1: it's like marathon split was two thirty or something. Is that right?
0: No, that's nobody's ever run that. First, oh, okay. But, <laughs> uh, no, no. It <laughs> but... just
1: shows how much I'm actually not part of your sport. Anyhow, so <laughs> no, no, that's okay. But but yeah. the point is, is like you know, it takes a lot of preparation. You know, I think I once calculated that like, oh yeah, if I'm off in my calculations for like my food, if I bring like an extra tea- tablespoon or two tablespoons of peanut butter a day, then all of a sudden I'm carrying like x number of pounds you know 25 extra pounds in my bag that i won't need you know you you Mm -hmm. can't you you don't want to make mistakes like that right like so imagine that you're going to like you know imagine that you're going to live for the next uh seven weeks of your life and you can't go to a store and you have to everything you have to you have to think of every possible outcome anything you could possibly need it's like okay well what if what if my computer breaks what parts would i need to fix it what if what if we you know what are we going to eat what you know you can't just go out and buy like a 400 liter thing of milk you know it's not going to work like you, you need all kinds of other food and stuff and you need it in the right quantity such that they're useful you have to have you know you have to think about every little detail of every little thing you could possibly need And if you screw up some of them, fine. You're probably resourceful enough to, to, to work around it. It's going to make things harder, but you know, like what if I smash a hole in my canoe? What am I going to do then? How am I going to fix that? What if, what if my stove breaks? I got to bring like, you know, you can't just go and build a big fire up there. There's no trees, right. You gotta, you gotta have parts. You gotta be able to fix your stove. You gotta have some different kind of resourcefulness or maybe some, you know, food that you can eat raw. Like what if the fish that I'm going to catch, that I'm relying on, what if I lose my fishing rod? How am I going to like compensate for all those lost calories? You know, so, so were you were were you counting on on catching food
0: up there to supplement your diet? Yeah. Not not just as a bonus.
1: Yeah, to a certain extent. I mean there's a lot of stories about there are people who head north or go into the wilderness and are gonna live off the land and then they starve or you know, bad things happen. So if I had caught no fish, I'd probably be okay. I'd be skinnier, but I'd be okay. But definitely uh plan to beef up my um my calorie intake with fish you know and so yeah that's not usually a, a too difficult thing to do up there but I, I learned some interesting things like in a lot of places I mean you know if you're a fisherman it's just like a fisherman's paradise I you can mean, catch a lure you can toss a lure and like often it's on the first cast second cast third cast you're nailing some big lake trout or a pike or a grayling or whatever it is and you know if you're a fisherman that's pretty exciting um and also delicious you know beautiful fresh fish whenever you want it um, the fishing's so good it almost gets boring in some places because you know what's going to happen. You're like, well, I'm going to cast out here. I'm going to catch about a six-pound lake trout. There you go, done. Um, but I was counting on to a certain extent. Um, anyway, all this to said, is like the preparation for this is is it's like preparing for a race. If you're doing it well, you you, you want to tick all the boxes, and then so kind of like I described. Once, once you get out there and you're free from all those preparations, you just go do the thing. It's like game on. Now we can go. But all that focus Uh leading up to that point is clarifying in your life, right? It's like, okay, I have this purpose now. I'm doing the thing. And then (laughs) in the case of being on a trip like that, um, it's pretty clarifying over time, over the next few weeks, as far as what your priorities are, as far as like who you miss the most, you know, all those things come into focus. It's like, wow, I'm really lucky to have like the parents that I have or the friends that I have. And at least for me, that came into focus pretty clear. It's like, okay. Yeah, I'm up here doing this thing by myself. The only reason, the only reason I'm able to do this in many ways, like in, in many, for many different reasons, is because of the people in my life, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, mm-hmm. and, that you know, it's, it's just, I say that as a way to say that, like, going into the wilderness or into the solitude like that can be really clarifying because you've just taken such a big step out of your daily reality and there's nobody to talk to about anything else. And so it can just, I feel like it shines light on different parts of your being that are often sort of held in the darkness, just because your life is so busy and you're running here and there and you're trying to meet other people's schedules. All of a sudden you're free from all that. You can do whatever the hell you want, whenever you want. You just got to get to that pickup point at the end of the time, you know, at the, you know wherever your float plane is going to pick you up, you got to be there. And in this case, like, I gave myself lots of time to do that. So I could really follow my nose. And to be free from all sort of scheduling obligations, I mean, that was just extraordinary freedom. But it also gave me time to let my mind and, you know, being soul, if you will, wander. And, you know, um, that can be a really – for me, it was a really nice experience to have. Dude, I just –
0: honestly with that that last few sentences you just said were really beautiful i just think that is such a nice way to sum up one of the bigger reasons why maybe things like this appeal to people Um, i feel like we get so bogged down by the minutia of life you know like you kind of you get into the daily grind and you know i not that it's bad you know i uh, you know my life i'm sure your life it's great you know you get up it's the same routine every day we got kids now you're kind of shuttling them around and doing your thing but what i really loved about what you just said is that in that time you spent there you basically took away all the distractions that we have in life
1: yeah yeah it, it's it's pretty great i mean like you say i mean you know we've got these great lives our lives are busy like my life now is pretty frenetic like racing around with the kids and everything all the time and but it's great and so people say oh yeah but you went out there for so long by yourself it's like well it's not really that long you know it's like seven weeks how many weeks in a year i don't even know there's an awful lot of them you know and i chose to spend seven weeks of this one particular year alone like that's not a big chunk of time in the span of a life you know and um and and yet taking that little bit of time to do that as you say is clarifying like it, it clarified priorities and also just let a different part of me come to life that is too busy at home to be there and um, it was also just a hell of a good adventure
0: the habit podcast is brought to you by renew enhanced tea Renew has created the world's first ready-to-drink tea-based functional beverage engineered using the science of sleep to promote daytime recovery and nighttime rejuvenation. Renew Enhanced Tea is formulated to help you get back to your best by reducing physical and mental stress, restoring and revitalizing your brain and body. Renew Enhanced Tea is light, refreshing, contains only 50 calories and tastes amazing. To learn more, visit RenuEnhancedTea.com. That's R-E-N-U, EnhancedTea.com.
1: Oh, yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing because the world's changed a lot since 2008. Like, I didn't own a cell phone in 2008. I didn't have – well, Instagram didn't exist. I didn't have a Facebook account, and most of my friends didn't. But it was still – you know, we all still had email and stuff, but, but I think now doing something like, you know, having some departure from, you know, whatever it is, you know, if you want to go up north into the wilderness or just somehow like turn off all your machines, man, like, you know, you, you know, one thing, one of the things I took with me on the trip, I did a presentation at work. I went back to work and like, all my colleagues were like, Hey, like, give us a slideshow. I was like, yeah, sure. So I put together a slideshow for them and I thought, which well, is great because they all probably picked up a little bit of slack for me when I was gone. And I gave him a slideshow. One of the, one of the guys asked me after. He said, "Hey, so what? What's one of the things you took with you from that?" And I didn't. You know, I don't know. I I didn't really have a good answer for him. I hadn't really thought about it. Um, but I did think about it, and, and I realized like one of the things that I took with me from that is I realized. You know, I'm a bit of a busybody at home. I'm always trying to be. You know, productive. I think that's sort of part of our Western culture, for better or worse. Probably for worse. But, um, I noticed up there, it's like, there was no need to quote, be productive. Uh, there was times where I would literally just sit there with a cup of tea and do nothing, like just sit and stare at the river and enjoy myself completely and not have any pressure, not have any sort of self-talk in myself that, Oh, I should be doing this. I should be doing that. Or Tim, you lazy shit. Why don't you go finish that thing on your list? There, There was none of that. And there was times like, there was a time when I actually like burned a hole in like my bug. Like I had like a. I had a tent, of course, but I also had, like, a little tarp with bug netting screamed around, uh, sewed onto it so I could set it up, like, a lean-to and have a place to escape from the bugs. And I was cooking and eating and hanging out. And I burned a hole in it one day by mistake. And I had to spend, like, an hour and a half sewing it up. And I was, like, so pissed at myself that I'd burned a hole in this and so not looking forward to, like, having to sit around and, like, sew up this thing for an hour and a half. And it was so enjoyable, right? (laughs) (laughs) i just sat there with a needle and thread you know i wasn't listening to a podcast i wasn't like doing all those things that i do all the time now i was just sitting there by myself in the quiet listening to birds sing and sewing up this stupid bug net and it was totally enjoyable and i think i think the whole reason it was enjoyable is because i was just like present doing a thing whereas at home uh and, and of course, you don't need to go away to experience that. But at home, I'm, I'm often just like frenetic and trying to be productive and trying to accomplish something in one way or another, whether that's like to get the dishes out of the sink or like, I don't know, finish up something with my business or whatever it is. But <clears throat> it's really freeing that way. And so, one of the things I brought with me from that, uh, you know, when I came home from that trip, I was still a single guy living with some friends. And I used to wake up in the morning, the alarm would go off, and I'd sort of lie around in bed and chastise myself for not getting up to, I don't know, get some exercise or do some yoga or something. And I just stopped doing that. I was like, "No what, you know what? Lying in bed for half an hour after my alarm goes up is a perfectly good way of using time. I'll probably accomplish nothing, but it's kind of nice to lie here and just watch my thoughts drift by and start the day slowly and so I've ever since then, even for the last ten years, I've always tried to incorporate some time in my life where I'm not doing anything, and sometimes it's as simple as I'm driving to go pick up the kids at daycare, and I'll just turn the radio off. I'll turn the podcast off and just be there with me and not have like something else like jamming in my ear holes all the time, which is like a tendency I have. And I'd love listening to podcasts, particularly yours. And, you know, I have a tendency to do that, but to shut off that noise, I think particularly at this point in our history where we're all like, got our stupid phones with us all the time. And we never give ourselves a break from stimulus to just let those natural, whatever it is inside you, just give it some breathing room. I think now it's actually never really been more important. And that's something that I took with me from that trip that I still try to tap into as much as I can. Ah, you're like a
0: prophet, man. <laughs>
1: so, this is the yeah. good Oh, God, shit. we're
0: on trouble. You know what's funny, Tim? The, just the thought of hearing my alarm... And making a decision to lie there for half an hour longer makes me so anxious. <laughs> I can't even tell you. Like well, this is this is exactly what you're talking about. I don't think I have the capacity. Well, that you know, little thing like if I'm just picking kids up from school, there always has to be something on to entertain me. Podcast, music, something. Mm. And the thought of turning the radio off and just being in silence actually makes me feel quite anxious this is is a really interesting thing to discover about myself
1: yeah well you know what i I spend a lot of time like it's funny we've talked about doing the dishes before you know you've got this like zen-like approach at times to doing dishes where you pardon me if i butcher this but where you just like focus try to focus as much as your energy as you can on the dishes and doing them as well as you can Right. Like, and I remember you described this to me. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. Like what a great way to like do this. Otherwise annoying chore, like almost make it like medita- a meditation. Right. Yeah. And, and, uh, and I, and I think this is the thing, it's like sewing up that bug net doing the dishes with all your attention on it. I mean, that's just like, that's kind of what we're all craving, but we're all like, we're always chasing the carrot. So we're trying to be productive all the time, chasing the carrot of, Oh, once I get this, then I'll be able to do that. And then I'll be able to do that. It's like, well, if that's your mindset, like you'll actually never get there. Right.
0: yeah totally right it's like this is like a a, you know a lesson or whatever
1: totally totally and so i think um these are not anything that i was thinking about on that that trip by myself but uh it's actually great to talk about this and be reminded of some of those lessons i had out there i mean one of the things that i think was interesting is that like like anybody else is like i can get into a pretty deep funk you know, I can get depressed and bummed out. And, and the thing about being up there, I mean, it happened to me when I was out there, you know, I'm all pissed off and grumpy someday. And I'm like, well, why am I pissed off and grumpy? And I should be having the time of my life. This is like a something I'm so excited about. I've planned with about for months and years and I'm, and I'm here and I'm, and I'm having a shitty day cause I'm pissed off. And it's like, well, there's nothing like I can't turn on Netflix. I can't call up you and like talk about it or just get distracted. I can't flick through Instagram like it was just like okay well I got a couple choices here it's like continue to be pissed off or change my frame of mind you know when I'd get crabby up there you know I'd get pissed off ai I'm 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 in a bad mood and then I'm pissed off that I'm in a bad mood and that just makes me more pissed off right so it's like this escalating thing of like getting pissed and getting angry but then I'm one day I'm floating down this river it's a beautiful like gin clear river and I and, I, and I'm all pissy and angry for some reason. And and I look over the side of the boat and I'm like, wow, look at those river stones. They're like, they're so pretty. They're like, some of them are green, some of them are purple, some are gold. Like these are all different kinds of colors. And so I pull up my camera, because I'm a bit of a photographer. I pull up my camera and I start like trying to take pictures of these things. And I start like messing around with like shutter speeds and stuff and making these sort of abstract, blurry images. Guess what? All of a sudden I'm happy. All of a sudden I'm like, oh, how come I'm not like pissed anymore? It's like, well, I just became present to what was going on. And now I feel like we're like, now I feel like we're like, this is like a spiritual podcast, but Eckhart Tolle's work or something. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I think that was the interesting thing though, about, because um, in, in sport and in sort of like solitude, you have to kind of be able to master your own psyche. And that was always my shortcoming as a ski racer is I get all fired up about things and, and then like, you know, or I'd, you know, worry that I was going to fall or like think about how I fell yesterday. And then I'd like blow up in the race or something. And I think in racing, your psyche is so important. And when you're out in the woods by yourself, it's the same thing. I mean, you kind of have to like learn how to master that. And of course, the only way to do that is just to kind of be present with where you are. Yeah. You know,
0: I I'm, I'm big on, on the idea of, of presence. You can hear me. Okay.
1: I can hear you fine now. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah I, I, I really like, and subscribe to the idea of presence as a, as a way of personal power of a way of being focused. Um, I think it's one of the most valuable things we can learn. And I do think it's, it's trained, it's trainable. It's not Mm -hmm. just something you have or you don't have. You have to work at it. I, I think our natural tendency as humans, Uh, is to not necessarily be that way i think we're we're easily distracted and i think
1: i think that's the greatest curse of the iphone you know i saw this headline the other day it was like steve jobs would not like how we use our iphones and and Mm -hmm. i don't think steve Jobs. i mean i don't know what steve jobs wanted but i hope that he wouldn't want to create like this like army of distracted people who never accomplish anything and are never actually happy because they're always like filling around their stupid phone all the time Mm
0: -hmm. and so i think
1: you know you more than pretty much anybody I know has spent a lot of time working on like training your mind to be more present. And I've seen, uh, you know, a a massive change in your psyche over the years from when you were like this, like, you know, teenager watching Kung Fu movies to like this Zen Buddha God that you are now. No,
0: but that, that's just it though. I, I go, it comes and goes. Of course it does. If I don't keep sort of training it and being mindful of it and paying attention to it, it, it goes away. I, I, and, and I, that in itself has been a great lesson for me because I feel like I used to think once you have it, you have it, Yeah, but it's not like that. At no, all. You, you
1: can't, you can't stop doing bicep curls and imagine that you're always going to have great <laughs> biceps, right? Like it, it, it's the same thing. It's like your your muscles will atrophy if you don't train them and your mind will go soft if you don't continue to work on it. And that seems like a chore, but that's also like the interesting challenge. And well, I'm not sure how we got onto this. No, but that's the beauty. <laughs> this is
0: why you needed to be on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Because can I, you have such great things to say.
1: Can I tell you something really interesting? Uh, you can tell me if it's not interesting, but I was listening to Radio Lab a while ago about this. Um, it was a show on limits, and they were talking about human limits. And, and there was this woman on the show in her early 40s. She's a mom, and she, and she was having seizures that were escalating, getting worse and worse. And one day she just got this compunction. Like she could, she could feel them coming on. And so she, she felt a seizure coming on and she threw on her running shoes and just like charged at the door and went for a run. And the seizure never came. And so then every time she felt a seizure coming on, she would put on her shoes and take off. And she was like, wow, this is amazing. Like I'm holding off these seizures. And there's families like, wow, you're crazy. You're going to run out into the world along these trails and have a seizure and there's going to be nobody there to help you. Wow. <laughs> yeah, right? And so... But the doctors were like, wait a minute, you can feel these seizures coming? And she said, yeah. She said, okay, well, next time you feel them coming, get in here. We'll put you in the CAT scanner or the MRI or whatever, and we'll try to locate the part of your brain that's causing the problem, which I guess is, like, not normal that you could have that opportunity. Anyway, so they did it. They figured out where it was, and they're like, okay, you got two options here. Your seizure is getting worse and worse and worse, and I don't know, something bad could happen. Maybe they'll kill you or something. I don't know. Um, or we could do this surgery, take out that part of your brain, which will hopefully stop your seizures, but we actually don't know what the side effects were going to be really. Anyway, she went for surgery and then her seizures went away. She was all good. But um, she, at the same time, she got really into running. And so she kept running and having no seizures and her friend was like, Hey, you should come in this 10 K race. And she's like, okay. And like, this is her first race ever after having like a couple kids and everything. And I think she came second or something. And uh, can you still hear me? Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so then she goes in like a half, like a, like a, a trail, like a cross country half marathon and she wins. And then she goes on another one and sets a course record and it just goes on and on. She had something that's like ultra marathon or something. Wow. And she just, start, she's just crushing it. And again, she didn't even start running until she's in her like early forties, like post a couple kids. And so what had happened was when they did the surgery, one of the side effects was she kind of lost her ability to keep track of time. So she didn't have the handicap that all of us have like on hour six of an ultra race, she wasn't thinking, Oh my God, I've been running for five hours. I can't believe I need to run for like two or three more hours. She had none of that. She, wow. was, like, she was like, Oh, I'm running. I could have been, maybe I've been running for half an hour. Maybe I've been running for 10 minutes. Maybe I'm running for four hours. I don't know. I'll just keep running. And she wow. just, yeah. And so she just crushed everybody because she wasn't tortured by those like thoughts in her head of, of limitation. Related to time, which in a sport like running, which is all time based, is a big limitation, right?
0: Yes, yes. And it sounds like she just, it, whatever happened, it, it it sort of forced her into a, a deeper state of presence when she ran. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah without, yeah. without all that other nonsense that goes on there, she was just doing the thing. It was great. Wow. Which again, that's, that's, a- that's neat, eh?
0: That's such a cool story. I, right after this, I'm definitely going to Google that because I yeah, I, th- that.
1: I think the radio. Yeah. It's good. You you can listen to it and figure out all the spot things I'd got wrong. But I think it was the Limits Show on Radiolab. Cool. Yeah. Wow. That's really cool. One of the things I want to ask you from a, a while
0: back in our conversation how how many days did you go without seeing another person?
1: Oh yeah, I I only saw one person on that trip. Oh, you did see
0: somebody on that trip.
1: Yeah. I saw one person, it was really weird, it was actually really, uh, I was about to drop, drop the F-bomb there because it was so annoying. So I'm, I'm, <clears throat> I'm floating down this river, I'm taking a break, I'm just sitting in the middle of the river drifting along, I'm drinking a cup of coffee, thinking about how good things are, having a great day. And I look downstream, so, so the other things people maybe should know about me is I'm, a, I'm trained as an ecologist and wildlife biologist, so I do a lot of work with wildlife, I'm fascinated by wildlife, bears and whatever else. So I'm floating down the river, And I look downstream, and actually, that's one of the reasons why I enjoyed spending time in the Arctic, because there's these massive herds of caribou, or there was, they're all disappearing now. You know, muskox and grizzly bears and wolves and all this stuff. And so, you know, on these trips, I have had, like, amazing encounters with all these different species, and it's super exciting. Um, Sometimes I'd fall asleep at night listening to wolves howl, and kind of cool if you're into that sort of thing. Anyway, so I'm drifting down the river, and I look up and I can see, like, downstream, there's a wolverine. So a wolverine is, like, it's the biggest mammal of the weasel family. They're, like, they're... they're t- vicious. Yeah, they're, they're vicious. They're, they're tough on the nails. I mean, they've been known to, like, chase grizzly bears off of carcasses and stuff. Like, they're, they're super tough animals. They have huge home ranges, and they're, they're just super badass. Um, but they're always kind of sparse across the landscape. They have big home ranges. Anyway, I see one, and I've never seen one before, and it's coming my way, and I'm like, oh, man, okay, I'm like... I've got my binoculars. So I'm watching this thing and I am seeing it's coming up, but it's just basically following the shoreline. And I'm like, Oh, this is so cool. It's going to like come within, like if it follows this trajectory it probably will, it's going to come within like, I don't know, 50 feet of me, whatever. And I'm like, this is amazing. Right. Like anyway, so I'm super excited being this wildlife geek that I am. And I'm watching this thing with my binoculars. I'd already decided to leave my camera in the bags. So I'm like, okay, if I try to get my camera out, I'm probably going to like, distract it or scare it or whatever so i just decide to sit there tight and watch and not let the moment pass and i'm watching this and slowly i hear this like weird sort of sound it's kind of like you know when you're really focused on something there's something sort of in the background that slowly you can hear it but you don't actually become consciously aware of it for a while slowly i became aware of the sound and the sound was like slowly getting louder and louder. And this helicopter flew right over top of me. Like, I'm in the middle of a million square kilometers of wilderness. Like, the only person within I don't know how far. And a helicopter flew right over my head, scared the crap out of the wolverine. It turned around. The helicopter sees me floating in the middle of a uh, river in a red canoe, circles around a few times, and lands. What the? Yeah, so I'm pissed. What? I'm pissed. Because this is like, to this day, it's still the only wol- wolverine I've ever seen. Anyway, so I paddle over the shore. The pilot hops out. And... Um, and, and I was like, oh, yeah, you just see the Wolverine. She's like, huh? What? No, what Wolverine? Anyway, that was the only person I saw. It was this pilot, and she was up there, like, flying, like, mining prospectors around or something. And uh, we had a super uninteresting conversation, and then she flew in a helicopter, and I didn't see anybody else until I got to the Arctic Ocean. There, there, there was a few moments. So I, I planned a bit of a silly route because I just wanted to explore a couple different river valleys, and the only way to sort of link them together. So I wanted to paddle down this one river called the Bailey river. And I also wanted to paddle the Western river. And so the only way to get to the Western river from the back river was to paddle the Bailey, sorry, from the Bailey was to paddle down the Bailey river and then go up the back river uh, and then portage over to the Western river, which would then take me to the Arctic ocean. So I had a really weird route that I kind of traveled like North. And then I went upstream up this, like the back rivers, this river that I paddled with my friends years ago. It was like this giant, fast moving river um, and uh, sorry I lost myself there but yeah so I had this really weird route and so I thought this sounded great I was like oh I can paddle these two rivers and have this fun adventure going up the back river in the middle and then I got to the back river I got to the confluence of the Bailey and the back river and I stood there like having a snack and I'm looking at like the current racing by me and it's like a big powerful river and it's just one of those moments you're like standing there by yourself and that river so powerful. And you're like, wow, I'm such a weakling. Like, what the hell was I thinking that I would by myself haul my boat up this, like, racing powerful river? It's like, it's, I was like, that, that was stupid. Like, and of course, when I start out, so, you know, there's there's a number of ways to get a canoe up river. You can walk along the shoreline and haul the boat. Uh, with you, you know, most of the time you have to walk in the water to do that. You can paddle, but the current's too fast to paddle. So I brought a big long pole with me so you can stand up and build a canoe and, like, gondola style, essentially, like, pull the boat up the river. It takes a mountain of technique and, you know, it takes a certain amount of technique and strength and balance and everything else, but also an awareness of what river currents do. And you can use the currents to your advantage and whatever. So I used a combination of all these things. But, like, on the first day going up there, I was just kind of getting spanked. You know, I hadn't found my rhythm yet, I hadn't really figured out how to use the currents uh, effectively yet and and so i was kind of <laughs> struggling and thinking this is really dumb but i also have that that gear right that like athlete gear where i sort of like i was like yeah well this you know i kind of started wondering well i wonder how far i can go in a day upstream so most of the time I'm not at their racing. Like a lot of people go on these trips and they talk about how far and how fast they went. It's like, Oh, we covered this like 500 kilometer trip in like X number of days. And they're all proud about how fast they did. it is. Like, well, that sucks. You probably didn't see anything, you know, that, that's not yeah, yeah. and like some people want to do that. That's great power to them. I've never really wanted to do that. And yet I still have that gear. And in the course of a seven week trip, you've got a bit of time to do a bit of each. And so I would like, I got a bit in my teeth and I wanted to see how far, how many kilometers can I lay down going up this giant river uh, in a day? And, and so I exhausted myself one day. Like I, I, I pushed so hard. I finally got like, as far as I could possibly go. And I hadn't been, it's kind of like, you know, you're on that you're in the marathon of an Ironman and you haven't actually been taking care of your nutrition. All of a sudden, like things, things start going a bit haywire. And I lay down on the tundra. And I was just so depleted. Like I reached into my bag and I started like drinking maple syrup and eating chocolate chips. And like, <laughs> I was like, just my body was just starved because I, I I was just so intent on going as far as I could that day. that like, I was drinking maple syrup, eating chocolate chips, like shoving like M&Ms down my throat. And like, I think I, I had like a flask of like Southern comfort with me or something. I like hauled a bunch of that and like just shoved all manner of like whatever I had down my gullet. And then I just like, lay there for about 45 minutes waiting for like energy to come back. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. So, so that, that it took after you know, 45 minutes came around, my body finally perked up again and I like made dinner, and went to bed. But so that was a cool thing. But the other thing I did was, sorry, I'm getting carried away, but I, I planned to portage from the back river over to this other river. And, and I thought it would take a couple of days, but it took four days. So if you're uninitiated portaging is when you, you know, to go from one body of another to another or one body of water to another. You got to like carry your canoe and carry your packs and it's typically pretty grueling and a portage like where i live now you know portage is anywhere from like 300 meters to 800 meters sometimes the long ones are two kilometers and it takes you you know maybe half an hour maybe a couple hours i portage for four days oh my god (laughs) so i would carry my canoe as far as i could drop it go back pick up a pack carry it as far as i could and while I'm doing this, so I'm navigating across this landscape by map and compass because there's no river to follow, so I'm just like basically walking with all my stuff across the tundra, navigating with a map and compass, and that was that that was kind of an athletic endeavor too, right? But what was so mm-hmm. cool about it, it was that and it was stupid. It was like, who portages this for four days? You know, as a <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's like canoe trippers. We don't do that. You know, that's like what hikers do. It was just stupid. Like there was times I'd set up my tent at night and I look around and there was no water and I had like a canoe sitting beside me and a tent and there's no water and there's all these caribou walking by and they're just like, what is this guy doing? Like he's got a canoe and wow. there's no water here. Anyway, um, But it was just kind of exciting because I just adopted the attitude of, okay, this is like a really big challenge and it's really stupid and I probably shouldn't have done this. But it's also kind of cool. It's also kind of cool that I picked such a ridiculous challenge and one of the great things is there's nobody else here to be like, Tim, what the fuck? Why did you get us to do this? It was just like, Tim, you did this to yourself and you got two things here. Like you can like, I don't know, you can just like, struggle your way through it or just make it fun so I just chose to make it fun and I was just kind of like pumped about this stupid thing that I decided to do pumped that I wasn't letting anybody else down and I just kind of it just became this really fun challenge to be like doing such a ridiculous thing in the wilderness by myself that was pretty cool dude this is just gold
0: the habit podcast is brought to you by group 11 websites for athletes – your super simple, couple of clicks, drag and drop, stylishly bold, single page website. Many athletes are wasting time and money on high powered systems like Squarespace, Wix, WordPress and others, which all require technical know-how and solid design chops to create a page that looks great and communicates well. Group 11 makes it quick and easy to update with desktop and mobile editing. And the focused customization options keep your attention on what matters most the content. To learn more, check out group11.co. That's group11.co.
1: There was one time where I read a rapid wrong. So, you know, like along the way, I'm like paddling rapids and stuff. And I would take the easy route as much as most of the time. Because, you know, you're by yourself. You don't, you know, if you're paddling with a bunch of friends, you got people that to rescue if you capsize or whatever. Uh, we're in the Arctic, you know, the water's cold. Like, if you capsize and if you lose a piece of gear, you're, you're in trouble, right? And, um, you, know, you know, of course, I have an emergency communication device with me, but, you know, those things don't work if you drown yourself, you know. <laughs> it's too late. Right. right. You know, and so... You know, those are the things I think a lot of people talk about. It's like, why you got, you know, you got an emergency communication device, you got a satellite phone or whatever. It's like, people will ask you that. The first thing they'll say, Are you going up north? It's like, Yeah, you got a satellite phone? It's like, Well, how about asking, like, Have you done that before? Do you have the requisite skills? Do you know how to do this or that? People just figure if you got a satellite phone, you're okay. Well, that's not not true. And on this particular day, I scouted a rapid and I thought I saw a line through it, Um, but I got lazy. I got lazy and I didn't look like for the next maybe a hundred meters down. And I came around this, I came out of this one part of the rapid and lined myself up for the next part. And all of a sudden I saw like a horizon line. So if you're not familiar, a horizon line is usually where there's a falls or or a drop off of some kind. In this case oh, it wasn't, it, it wasn't, it wasn't a big falls. It wasn't at all. Um, but it was a big enough drop that, um, you know, I got over it, but I swamped my canoe swamped and I like, when a canoe gets filled with water, it gets super unstable. It's really hard to like keep it upright. Somehow I managed to get to shore, but that, yeah, that scared me. It scared me because, you know, I was fine. Nothing bad happened, but it scared me because it was like a major lapse of judgment. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. that was my only safety net really. It was a lapse of judgment. I mean, the vast majority of the time up there, it's like, it's pretty safe. It's like, you know, paddle the river you're carrying stuff around you're setting up a tent and cooking food but you just got to be careful it's like little things like if i'm setting up my cook stove i promised myself i would never reach across the stove to grab something if I, there was something over there i would stand up walk around the stove pick it up and come it back because I, I can't really afford to like get a major burn on my arm right mm-hmm. so little things like that but this was a lapse of judgment i didn't scout that rapid carefully enough and um so that that scared me a little bit I think that was probably the scariest time, I think.
0: I mean, there's yeah. another
1: giant waterfall downstream of there, but, and I, I talked to one other guy who had paddled this particular river. Like it's a bit of an obscure river and not many people paddle it. So there's no trip reports or anything. Mm-hmm. And, um, and this guy had told me, he's like, you know, there's that, it's not marked on the map, but you come around this one bend and there's this like 40 foot waterfall. And it's kind of in this spot and this spot, and you kind of got to watch out for it. And, I never really understood where it was and mm-hmm. before I went. And I remember, you know, looking on the map, seeing all these rapids marked, being like, well, any one of those could be that falls, but I don't know. It's like, it's not marked. Like... But I remember him saying something about a, a a bend in the river. And so I was coming down to this part of the river, feeling like a little bit on high alert because I knew like, if I screwed this up, I'm going over a 40 footer. And mm-hmm. so I, I was probably a little scared there. I was probably a little yeah. scared there, but um I had enough experience to not go around a blind bend that didn't have some slack water to eddy out in. And so I, I thought, I remember like, I remember stopping a couple times and going to walk around a blind corner to make sure this wasn't like the big, the big cataract. And then like the second or third time I did that, I'm like, Oh, there it is. 40 foot waterfall. Glad I stopped. And, wow. And to stand there at the top of it and look over it and think about what it would have been like if I had gone over. Yeah, that was a bit scary.
0: I feel like in those, like you are struck with your own vulnerability in that oh. place you know there's oh. no there's no ambulance coming to get you there's yeah. no you know you you as you said if you
1: drown that satellite phone's pretty useless you know what you, you just put your finger on something there was another day i was portaging around this canyon and um this guy had told me he was like you know if you get stuck in that canyon like you can't get out like there's no like it's all cliffs like you can't portage your way you're out and you're like you're kind of screwed and I remember, right. you know, I didn't screw that up. Like I, I saw it coming, I got out of the way, and I portaged around it for a day. And uh, I remember walking along there and just being so present to how vulnerable I was. And, and man, there's just so much humility in that, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I just remember being so grateful that I was carrying these extremely heavy loads across the tundra and not, like and not being down in that canyon. Because, yeah, yeah there, there's moments where I definitely felt like there's one night I'm camped out there and this storm came in and it came in with a vengeance. And it was like, I I don't think I've ever experienced rain that hard before. And I'm just in a tent. I've got this like thinnest film of nylon. And it's only like, it's like five degrees out, right? At this point. It's like cold. It's like, yeah, it's July or August, whatever it was, but it's like five degrees and there's this thinnest film of nylon protecting me from this like ridiculous rainstorm. And I'm, and I'm expecting my tent to like get ripped open any second by the wind and the rain. And I'm thinking, okay, well, what, would I, what, what am I gonna do if that happens? And I'm like, hey, I'm gonna be soaked instantly and it's five degrees out. I'm probably gonna like, I'm gonna have to go hide underneath my canoe. And there's also like the day before there was like a billion black flies and mosquitoes. It's like, I came up with a new collective noun recently for like the amount of bugs and like mosquitoes and black flies up there. It's like an atrocity you know, it's like a murder of crows. This is like yeah. an, atro- an atrocity of mosquitoes. That's my <laughs> new collective noun. And I was just thinking, man, you know what? If, if my tent ripped open in this night in this like howling gale and I was left out there, like, yep, that could be like, I could get hypothermia and die.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, then, you know, that, and that was clear to me. And so, yeah, there was moments like that where I definitely felt vulnerable. Like every single day, like I pack up my gear and get ready to you know get in the canoe and there was always like this weird little nervousness in there i'm like okay shit like have i forgotten anything like did i forget the poles for my tent did i leave my knife lying there like i can't i need a knife i need the tent poles like you can't set up a tent up there without poles you know and so it, it's just like the supplies in my boat were really my lifeline so when i was there was one time when i was going up the back river where I was getting angry and pissed off. And when you get angry and pissed off, you tend to get impatient. You tend to make bad judgments. And I went to haul my boat around this rock, which was something I should not have done. And the current just hauled me back and I went flying into the river. All of a sudden I'm like in the river, cold water getting washed downstream in this powerful current. And I know there's rapids downstream cause I just navigated past them. And I'm like frantically swimming to shore and i've got like my safety system was i had a throw bag attached to me which is like a bag filled with rope and another one on my boat and i went to attach one to the other and in my panic i couldn't really figure out how to do it and in my preparations like i hadn't practiced that in my head i'd practiced a million times but i hadn't physically practiced it and all of a sudden i'm panicking i can't figure out how to do this and i'm like getting swept downstream and it ended up fine. I managed to get to shore, but I was like, Oh yeah, right. Yeah. That was dumb. I didn't like practice that major safety system. And yeah, that made me feel pretty vulnerable and scared probably. Well, yeah. And that that's part of the appeal of the whole thing. It's just the self-reliance of it, right? Whether it's managing your own psyche or figure, figuring out how to like break a broken piece of equipment or how to navigate a rapid or to navigate across like a piece of land without a gps or something you know it's like all of those are like little bits of self-reliance and somehow that just kind of like it feels nice it feels nice to be kind of in control Mm -hmm. and to like figuring yourself out of problems instead of just asking google how to do it yeah like god everything has changed since 2008 it's like we just don't just don't think for ourselves anymore and and Mm -hmm. so i think it's so nice to actually like rely on your own psyche and like your lifelong, like the skills you've built up over a lifetime to actually get yourself out of a pickle, you know?
0: Yeah. Buddy, this is so great. I, I feel like we could just keep talking for another 90 minutes.
1: Oh, no, yeah. This is like our
0: longest, (laughs) my longest podcast. I, I knew that there would just be some such good stuff. And I really think people are going to love hearing uh, about some of the crazy stuff you've done. Um, well,
1: the wonderful thing is if they don't enjoy listening to it, they can just turn it off. I mean, <laughs> yeah. The stats um, of your podcast will tell all. Yeah. And I won't tell you. No, that's fine. I, actually, I don't <laughs> care. That's okay. And I don't care because I just get to, I'm just here chatting with my friend Jazz. So, you know, it's a win-win for me. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully your audience gets something out of it.
0: Hey, thanks for tuning in to The Habit Podcast. Make sure you check us out on Instagram at The Habit Podcast, where you'll find pictures of our guests and teasers about upcoming episodes. Until next time, thanks for listening.